0: Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of God, our Father, amen. You know, a little kid came and he sat down and he saw some flowers in the church and he got real excited and he said, Dad, where are all the flowers for? And his dad responded, those are for in honor of all the people who died in the service this year. It's a very cool thing. And the boy thought about that, that for a little bit and got this frightened look at in his face and he said, Dad, was it the 8 o'clock or 9.30 service? <laughs> you know I love that story because of the innocence and also because he was just afraid, you know. And I started thinking, how many of you guys deal with fear in any level? You could define fear as stress, anxiety, worry, uh, being uptight. Anybody ever struggle with that kind of stuff? Just guys on the screen, okay. And the reality is that God came to relieve even that as we go go through life. One of the biggest time consumers, one of the biggest things that makes our life less than joyful is being consumed by fear in, in one aspect or another. Now, I want to ask you, just as we kind of talk about this today, do you remember what the first words were that the angels said after Jesus rose from the dead? Anybody remember that? Fear not. It says, do not be afraid. I love those words. Do not be afraid. Over and over in the scriptures, they use that phrase, do not be afraid, 365 times, one for every day of the year. He just doesn't want us ever to to kind of waste time consuming ourselves with things that, that we can't control. How about this one? The first words that Jesus said after he rose from the dead, anybody remember those? Do not be afraid. And now that you see this pattern developing, I'm going to ask you this next one. What were the first words that the disciples heard Jesus say when they met him in that, upper, in that group in the upper room? What were the first words? Do not be afraid. Over and over, after Jesus' resurrection, whether it be the angels or Jesus himself, he was saying, I know it looked bad, but do not be afraid. In fact, if there's a message of Easter... It's, do not be afraid, I have risen, right? It's an amazing story, it's an amazing encouragement, it's an amazing joy. And you know what else is so cool about those words? Is that they weren't just words relevant 2,000 years ago to those disciples. The words that are still relevant to us today. I mean, we still struggle with fear and anxiety and worry and being uptight in all sorts of different ways. In fact, if we had a giant screen and we put it up here, And they were able to project all of your hidden fears today. What do you think you'd see up on the screen? I think if you were honest, you'd see stuff like this. You'd see that some of us, even here this morning, are afraid that we're going to lose our job. See that some of us are afraid that we're going to lose our marriage. Things have been rocky of late. Some of you are afraid you're going to lose your kid. They're just going in the wrong direction, and you don't know what to do or what to say. Some of you are fearful about your health. You're awaiting test results even right now, and you're afraid you're going to hear that C word, cancer. Some of you are afraid you're never going to maybe even get out of the parking lot this morning. I don't know. Whatever your fears are, though, they're legitimate to you. Pastor's son once asked his daddy, he said, Daddy, are you afraid of spiders? The pastor said, no. Are you afraid of thunder or ghosts or robbers? The pastor said, no. The little boy thought about it. He said, huh, I guess you're, the only thing you're afraid of is mommy then. <laughs> You know, we we call fear by a lot of different names. We call it worry, intention, anxiety, being uptight. We call it stress. One recent study they did, they did a study of 500 different people, and they discovered 7,000 different fears in those 500 people, an average of 14 fears per person. So this isn't some minor issue that God and Jesus and the angels were talking about when they said, don't be afraid. This is a message, this is a subject that applies to all of us. And so as we continue looking in this series about what it is that Jesus came to do, one of the things I want to talk about today is that he came to tell us that we don't have to be afraid anymore. If you would take this to heart this morning, I promise you, it would change your life. You don't have to be afraid anymore. Let's take a look at how that is, because in this message this morning, Jesus is going to give us three solutions, three pieces of, I guess, advice that help us get to a place where we can fear not, And so one of the first things that Jesus says, it starts with this. It says, you've got to trust God's love for you. You've got to believe that he is for you and not against you. You've got to believe that God actually loves you. Sometimes I don't think we think about that a whole lot, but in 1 John 4, 18, Jesus said this. He said, where God's love is, there is no fear because God's perfect love drives out fear. I want you imagine you're a little kid, and maybe you didn't have the perfect parents, but imagine what the perfect dad or perfect mom would say. You're scared out of your mind because of some situation in your life. And you run to mommy and you run to daddy and you tell them all about it. Maybe it's a nightmare, maybe there's a bully on the corner that was picking on you, whatever it is, and you went and you told mommy and daddy about it, and daddy said, I got this. Did you worry the same way after that? No. He was able to take away the fears because you know what? Somebody you trusted, somebody you knew loved you, said he's got it. And it has this amazing ability to take away fear and anxiety and stress in our life when we trust that that person can do something about it. I say it because there's three kinds of fear that I think we struggle with all the time. There's what I'll call service-level fears. Surface-level fears are things like this. You're afraid of maybe not being able to pay your bills, or you're afraid you're going to run out of gas before you get to the gas station. These are surface-level fears. Maybe you're even afraid you're going to have a car accident and you're not going to have clean underwear on. I I don't know. The big question on why you're not wearing clean underwear in the first place, but we won't go into that, right? But those are surface-level fears, right? They're not really that important most of the time. But then there's this next level down. It's more significant, more unsettling. These are the subconscious fears. And there are things that are right below the surface level. They're a lot deeper, like the fear of failure or the fear of rejection, the fear of abandonment, the fear of losing control, the fear of being found out, the fear of not being adequate enough for the task. But you know, as devastating as those fears are, and as much as they complicate our behavior and make us do some weird things and unhelpful things, those aren't even your deepest fears. There's also a a deepest level fear uh, that I'll call the soul fear, singular. It is a taproot that all your other fears come out of. It is the source, it is the well. And no matter how much you try to get rid of all those other fears that you're struggling with, until you deal with this taproot fear, it's just not going to work. Until you get healing at this deepest level, you're still going to struggle with fear and anxiety and stress and worry in your life on a constant basis. You're still going to have problems with these surface-level fears, but it's the gut-level taproot fear that you need healing from. And so what exactly does that look like? What exactly is that? And the answer that God gives is that your deepest need in life is is to feel absolutely, totally, unconditionally loved to just know that you are loved. Think about that in marriage. If you know you're totally, irrevocably, completely loved by your spouse, does it take away a lot of fears in marriage? Yeah. Or think about a friendship. If you know that you're totally, absolutely, completely loved in that friendship, does it take away fears in the friendship? Absolutely. The greatest need that we have as human beings is to be loved. God created us to love us, so it stands to reason, right? This is your deepest inner need, and that's why perfect love is able to cast out fear. And the reality is that until this issue is resolved in your life, you're going to be tormented by other fears. You just will. Because only God can love you as much as you really need to be loved. Only God can do it. And God doesn't love you randomly. He loves you consistently. He loves you every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every year. There's never been a time in your life where God hasn't loved you. That's not true of everybody else. It's just not. Only God can love you as deeply as you really need to feel loved. And so the first step is to receive God's love in your life in a tangible and a real way where you believe that he's actually for you, even if life is complicated, that he actually loves you even after you've sinned, that he's got this, that he's got you. Because God's where God's love is he says there is no fear. But I know some people say, you don't know what I've done. You don't know, you know how much I've blown it. God could never love me anymore. That's not true. It says this, that nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That means nothing. And so know that God has never stopped loving you, not once in your whole life. And that doesn't mean he's approved of everything you've done. Let me say that again. He has not approved of everything you've done, but he's also never stopped loving you so our job, step one, if we want to overcome the fear in our life, is to say, God, thank you for loving me. To receive that in a real way into your life. To build that truth into all of your situations where you just believe and trust and know that he's for you, that he loves you, that he's got you. And then he goes in and he says, I need to build on that a little bit. He gives us a second step. He says, believe that Christ died and rose for you, for me. I mean, that's where we're getting ready to celebrate next week anyway, isn't it? I mean, that's where so many people come and, and they celebrate. Hey, Jesus rose from the dead. We get all excited. We have to do four services because so many people come. I mean, churches all over the place. Got so many people in worship services all to hear this message. But note the word me or you in that sentence. Not just that he died and rose, but that he died and rose for me and for you. See, it's one thing to believe about something. It's quite another thing to believe in something. It's one thing to believe about a person, and it's another thing to believe in a person. Let me give you an example. I believe about Charlie Sheen. I do, but I don't believe in Charlie Sheen. People say, I believe there's a God, but so what? Big deal. Do You think that puts you in the book of life because you believe about God? The Bible says there's only a fool believes there's no God. Think about that. Every time you try to, to share about God with somebody else, it says only a fool believes there is no God. And if you can take a step back, it does kind of make some sense, right? You have to have more faith to believe that creation happened by accident than you do believe, to believe that God created it himself. Let me see if I can give you an example of that. This is the same kind of odds, they said. So you take a watch, and I'm going to take it all apart, okay? All the pieces and everything. Put the band in there, all, all kinds of stuff. I'm going to put it in a bag, and I'm going to shake it up as hard as I can for an hour just, just to do it nice and good, right? And then at the end of that, shaking it up for an hour, I'm going to pull out a fully functioning, put-together watch. Would you believe that? No. Somebody had to put it together. It's a bigger leap of faith to think the universe just sort of happened than it is to believe that God put it together in the first place, like he's been telling us for 4,000 plus years. In fact, the Bible even goes on to say even the devil believes in God, which I think is funny because the devil has conned so many people in our world today that there is no God but even the devil himself believes there's a God, but you're not going to find him in heaven. And so it's more than just head knowledge. It's, about be- it's not about believing about, it's about believing in. The Greek word for believe means to trust in, to cling to, to rely on, to adhere to, to sell out to, to commit to. Think about what those words mean. And So again, I believe about Lenin, but it doesn't make me a communist. I believe about Hitler. But I'm not a Nazi. I believe in Jesus Christ, and that's what makes me a Christian. Because I've committed myself to him. I cling to him as I go through life. I trust him. It's like the chair you're sitting on, okay? You say, I believe this chair will hold me up. And you believe it with all your heart and soul and mind. But it's one thing to say you believe it. It's quite another thing to sit on it. But once you sit on it, that's real faith. That's real belief. If I believe that Jesus, in Jesus, what difference then will that make in my life? You know, I, I shared that story, but in th- my first house, we had a, I had this big living room, and I was poor. I didn't have any money for furniture, so I went out curb hunting, you know, <laughs> to find some furniture. But then everybody was coming over to my house, you know, to look at it. And I was like, oh, man, these have some members coming over. So I, I, got, I had this rickety table that I found and chairs that were super rickety, and I put a nice tablecloth over it. And and so we had people over to the house, and we had like a 280-pound elder at the time, and and he was looking for a place to sit, and and I wasn't paying attention. He went and sat on one of those little chairs. (laughs) It broke. For the rest of the time I knew him, he was always a little bit nervous to sit on the chairs in my house, right? Okay. It's one thing to say you believe that it will hold you up, but especially for him, it was quite another thing for him to sit down, right? As we go through life, there's lots of disappointment, isn't there? And there's lots of heartache. And there's lots of brokenness. And we experience pain. And we experience things that are just no fun. But God never once has let us down. The world has, people have. But God has not. And so when we put our trust in him, he's the only one that promises he'll always be there. Now we've been hurt in the past, you know? And maybe you imagine yourself, you're that elder that fell flat on your face. But it's not my house that you have to sit at, right? It's God's. And if you put your trust in him, it can take away your fears. And it can give you hope even when things seem hopeless. But still, people don't, you know, and and, and we talk about all these fears. If you start believing God in this way, he can take away one fear after another. I think one of the, the biggest fears that he can take away, especially if you believe what he says about the future that we have in Jesus Christ, about salvation, one of the biggest fears that we could actually stop fearing is death. And I meet people all the time that they don't even like to talk about death. I mean, it's a, it's a freaky subject to them. They don't like to think about it, contemplate it. They don't even like the word death. Why? I think it's because they're not really sure what happens afterwards. Even sometimes with Christians, they get just a nervousness, a hesitation about it. Pastor was doing some street witnessing, and he went up to a bum and said, hey, do you want to go to heaven? The guy said, no. (laughs) What, you don't want to go to heaven? (laughs) No. Why? Oh, the bum said, I thought you were taking a busload right now. No, no, yeah. (laughs) But but you know what the, the real answer to this particular fear is? It's believing that Jesus loves you, that he's got you even in death, that his promises are true. Guys, you just need Jesus in your life. You need to have a relationship with God and not because you're going to die tonight because you probably won't, but you need Christ in your life because you're going to live tomorrow and someday you're going to die. Scripture says again, only a fool goes through life unprepared for what he knows is an eventuality. That's foolish. And so God just says, be prepared. Trust in the reality that Jesus died and rose again for you. For the Bible says, eye has not seen, nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the wonderful things that God has prepared for those who love him. And I guarantee you, if you believe this, you will not be disappointed. I was talking to somebody before service, and they were talking about a loved one that passed, and and there's some sorrow in that, and some sadness that you'll miss him. But man, they were excited that they were in heaven. It's a different hope than the rest of the world has because we can know that our loved ones are hanging out with Jesus, are hanging out with our grandpas and our grandmas and our moms and our dads, that that they're hanging out in heaven and that they're finally received their reward and they're just waiting for us. It, It takes a whole different perspective and it gives us some joy in the midst of what is just tangible grief. It gives us a hope that we will see them again in the midst of just missing them so much. It changes the dynamic of everything. I've been at the bedsides of people right before they passed and, and they just you just knew it was going to be a few hours and, and I've actually whispered in their ears at a different time, say hi to Jesus for me, you know, because I can't wait to be there. Say hi to Jesus. And then finally Jesus said, I want to build one more thing on this and it's this, commit your fears and your life to Christ. They did a survey one time, or I want to do a survey actually this morning to see if it plays out the same way. How many of you would say, and I want you just to vote, show of hands. How many of you would say, I try to follow the Ten Commandments? Show of hands. Try to follow. Okay, next question. How many of you know the Ten Commandments? It's usually less, but pretty good. Okay, how many of you could say the Ten Commandments if I had you stand up and, and say them? It's usually less. How many of you have seen the commandments at some point in your life? And everybody's hand goes back up. Very good. And I'll just ask you in the midst of all that, you, and, I, and I did that because I used to work with kids and, and I would always ask them, can, can you do the Ten Commandments? And they said, oh yeah, but then they started trying to figure them out and they could almost never get them all. But do you know what the first commandment is? You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other, it's the first one, God's number one in the Big Ten, no other gods. And what he's prohibiting there is this whole thing called idolatry. Idolatry is any time you put anything, any person, any career, any job, any decision, anything, first place in your life instead of God. Anything. That's called idolatry. And it may even be a good thing, to be honest. Sometimes we get tripped up in that. But if it's in the first place in your life where God ought to be, you've made it a God, and again, it's called idolatry. Now, this may mean a boat, or your house, or your job, or your bank account, or your girlfriend. It can even me and your family. I've heard people say, I put my family first. I put my family first. I put my family first. I said, that's great, but you need to put God first. Does that make sense? And I promise you, if you put God first, your family will benefit immediately and powerfully. Anytime you put something in the first place where God ought to be, you're setting yourself up for fear because anytime there's idolatry, there's fear because we weren't made to live that way. Anytime anything else besides God becomes more important in your life, it can be taken away from you. And so you're going to develop fears as a result of that. If getting people's approval is the most important thing in your life, you're going to develop a fear of losing that approval from other people. If making money is the number one goal in your life, you're going to develop a fear of losing it all. If getting married is the number one important thing in your life, you're going to develop a fear of never getting married. Or you're always going to have this fear of losing your marriage. If success is the most important thing in your life, you're going to develop a fear of failure. If reputation is the most important thing in your life, you're going to develop a fear of losing it, and you'll have to work all the time on building up your image. You see, idolatry equals fear. All the way through Scripture, it talks about this. And so I want you to think right now about what it is that makes you afraid. And is there a chance that that issue could be competing with God for that number one spot in your life? And that maybe, just maybe, that's why you're so afraid. The Bible says, don't worry. Don't be afraid of anyone. Have reverence for Christ in your heart and honor him as Lord. And I want you to look at the word again, Lord, here. Because that's not a word we use a whole lot in our country today. We don't have lords and ladies and counts in America. This is a democracy. But what does it mean, actually, to be a Lord of somebody's life? It says, honor Christ as Lord And it simply means this, that you would let Christ be the manager of your life, that you let him be the boss, that you let him call the shots, that you let him be the chairman of the board. I have a best friend from high school, and we talk periodically, and uh, he's an agnostic, and he struggles. But at least he's honest. He says, I'm not willing to give up being in charge. I'm not willing to follow him completely. I want to do what I want to do. And I love that honesty, but, but it's idolatry. He's made himself God instead of God. When God is Lord, it means that God is number one. That's what it means to be Lord. Let God be God. And to honor Christ as Lord means that he's the only person that you ultimately have to please. And if that were true, do you think that would simplify your life? It was just Jesus that you had to please. Absolutely. Jesus has cast then all your anxiety, all your fears, all your worry, all your stress upon him because he cares about you. In other words, he's saying, let God be God and you be you. But the reality is, is that God has created this God-shaped vacuum in our hearts, in each one of us. But here's the deal with that. If you don't fill it with God, you're going to fill it with fear, And you start wondering why you're stressed out and why you're worrying and why you're uptight all the time, that things don't always seem to go the way that you want them to, and why you're so racked at night trying to fall asleep because of all these things. And it's because that nothing else can substitute for God. It doesn't matter how much human affirmation you get. It doesn't matter how many awards that you can put on the shelf. It doesn't matter how many possessions or money that you have stockpiled. Nothing can substitute for God in your life because everything else can be taken away. And so our answer to our fears is this. It's, it's Jesus. It's trusting that he's for you, that he loves you, and that he's got you. For Jesus came out of the empty tune on Easter so many years ago so that he could fill our empty hearts, fill it first with forgiveness, but then with his love. He came to restore a relationship with us that had been broken, to show us what truth looked like, especially today in this crazy world of ours, and to take away our fears by showing us again and again that he's there and that he loves us. And that's huge, because as Paul writes, there is no fear in love. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let us pray. God, we love you so much, and we thank you for a message like this today. We, We all struggle with things that we try to control. There's Worry and stress and anxiety and just fear in our life. And we get this fear, Lord, because of it's so uncontrollable, because we always fear that things will go wrong, because we forget that you're involved. We forget that, God, you answer prayer, we forget that that even as we go through difficult times that you're there, we forget that you're for us, we forget that you're always true to your promises. Father, as we struggle with life. <laughs> Help us cling more and more to you and the promise through Jesus we have your love always and that we have your truth fulfilled always. And let that change the way we worry and let it drive us more and more to you in prayer. We pray that today in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Amen.